Did you win? Powerball, I mean. Did you play? How many of you bought at least one ticket? Just, that's good, it's okay. The rest of you, you can admit it. I'm not here to preach against the lottery. Some of the nicest people I know bought lottery tickets. But I'm fascinated by this phenomenon. Millions of people waiting for hours, the well-off and the less well-off, the well-educated and the less well-educated, braving rain, snow, and freezing temperatures for the 300 million to one chance that they'll win the lottery. Most lottery players know that they have a greater chance of being struck by lightning twice on a sunny day. Their brains tell them they won't win because, well, the prospects of winning are about as slim as winning the lottery. And yet they play. And when they buy their, that ticket, do you watch their faces? Oh, such enjoyment. What bliss there is this endearing happiness in those expressions, a moving enthusiasm to break away from the earthly bonds of responsibility for the untrespassed sky of endless opportunity. I think that's part of the explanation. We're not really buying tickets to win. We are buying pleasure, the pleasure of imagining that we will win. We're buying fantasy, escape. There's nothing wrong with this, unless we do it excessively. A day in fantasy land costs more than a lottery ticket. For that matter, even a day at the movies costs more. The rational side of us knows that it's fantasy. We know that we will not win, but to experience a few good dreams, 72 hours of blissful escape from the gravity of our responsibility, what is that worth? It's worth $2. In life, the anticipation of the realization is often better than the realization of the anticipation. Right? The anticipation of the realization is often better than the realization of the anticipation. The anticipation of a vacation is often more pleasing than the vacation itself. The anticipation of the new job is often more rewarding than the job itself. The anticipation of the promotion, the higher salary, is often more pleasing to us than the actual money, which we quickly discover doesn't really change our standard of living anyway. And in any case, the more we want, the more we want. It's not really want that 
It's really want that eats at us, not need. And so the lottery ticket allows us to anticipate. To anticipate is emotionally intoxicating. It's like what Kafka wrote about the actress who is smiling to her onstage lover, and you interpret the smile as if it's intended for you. Her love smites you instantly. It's fantasy, of course, and deep down you know it. You know that she doesn't love you. You know that she doesn't even love the onstage actor. She's acting. But you enjoy it. And the experience heightens your emotions. Naturally, between the time we purchase the lottery ticket and the publication of the results, we become greedy. We imagine being the sole winner. How could we possibly endure the indignity of sharing $1.6 billion with somebody else? The point of Powerball is not only to win, but it's to be the only winner. Then we would win what we really want, both fortune and fame. We would be envied. And there are few pleasures in our puny lives more enjoyable than being envied. It makes all of our other problems worthwhile. What messes with our brains on this 300 million to one chance is that there are actually our lottery winners. But even here, the record is mixed. Some winners tell us that winning ruined their lives. They quickly lost their entire windfall. Their lives became so wonderful that they were miserable. Their fortunes became so large that it impoverished them. As Ovid wrote about King Midas, stunned by the novel ailment Rich, yet poor. He loathes his wealth, hates what he craved before. Other lottery winners tell us that they quickly lost their relationships because family and friends can last a lifetime unless asked to lend or share money. And even in the best of circumstances, that kind of windfall will definitely change your life and cause some degree of disorientation. There was an elderly Jewish-British working-class couple that won the lottery. One of the things they always dreamt of if they ever came into money was to hire a butler. And so that's what they did. One day before Going out on an afternoon of shopping, the old Jews directed the ramrod, straight and proper British butler to set the dinner for four people. The Cohens are joining us for dinner, they said to the butler. We'll be back around six and dinner is at seven. 
When the couple returned, they saw that the table was set for eight people. Didn't you understand, they asked? Weren't we clear? We asked to set the table for four. The Cohens are coming to dinner, we said. Yes, I know, said the butler. But the Cohens called to say, we'll also be bringing the Kreplachs and the Blintzes. So there's always disorientation when you come into this kind of windfall. No sooner did the Israelites win their freedom from Egypt after 400 years of praying for this windfall that they started complaining about the burdens of the windfall and they wanted to return to Egypt to slavery. Such was their disorientation. But I want to be clear. I'm in favor of windfalls. I'm in favor of dreams. As long as we are the ones possessing the dreams and not the dreams possessing us. And I'm not telling you to, not to buy lottery tickets. But you know you're not going to win. And in the impossible event that I'm wrong, I'm telling you right now, if I find out that one of you did win that Powerball lottery or any of the future lotteries, I'm at your doorstep the next week asking you for the biblical 10%. I have no compunction to solicit you, no matter how you made your money, unless by ill-begotten means. The point I'm trying to make is that there is something religious in the lottery dream. There is the same otherworldly aspiration for contentment and security. There is the same yearning for safety in a threatening world. I love seeing all those modern-day skeptics, people who don't believe in God, don't believe in prayer, don't believe in religion, and don't believe in miracles playing the lottery. They've simply swapped one belief for another, one religion for another, one form of prayer for another, and one belief in redemption for another. There are no real atheists in the world, given the human condition. Our fragmentary understanding of existence, our limitations, our mortality, all of us need to believe in something Unless we are intellectually or emotionally dead, all of us sense a reality or at least a mystery beyond what our current intellect can grasp. As the psalmist wrote, what are we? We are like a breath. Our days are like a passing shadow. We come and go like grass which in the morning shoots up renewed and in the evening fades and withers. All of us worship something. We may worship the goddess of fortune. We may petition the goddess of beauty. We may beseech the Lord of power. Everyone is worshiping their God. Everyone is praying for a miracle. Oh, goddess of fortune, let me win the lottery. 
O Lord of power, let me take vengeance on my enemies. O goddess of beauty, let me look 30 years younger. Almighty of narcissism, may all pale in my splendor. All of us seek the jackpot of life. But unlike the religions of fortune, power, beauty, and narcissism, Judaism offers a different windfall. We do not petition God for miracles. Our tradition tells us that the days of miracles are over. God already did his part. Now it's up to us. In Jewish tradition, we do not pray for something to occur outside the natural order. Like, for example, rain falling in the summer in Israel. We do not expect the sea to split, the donkey to speak, the sun and the moon to stand still. We do not ask for impossible things. The rabbis warned one should never put himself in a position of danger and say, a miracle will save me. We do not even pray for recovery when a loved one is at death's door. It's why we try to limit the Mishaberach list here. We pray for recovery when recovery is possible. When it is not, we don't pray for healing. We simply pray for things to happen as they are supposed to happen in accordance with the natural laws of the universe that God first established upon creation. And so, we don't pray never to get sick. We don't pray to live forever. We don't pray for the miracle of winning the Powerball lottery. We pray for strength to overcome life's inevitable disappointments, setbacks, and challenges that seem to be built into the very fabric of the universe. We pray for love, friendship, and camaraderie. We pray for the wisdom to know how to cope with and spend unexpected fortunes. We pray for meaning, the capacity to work hard, to make a contribution, to be respected. We pray for a good heart, a good partner, a good family, good friends, a good community, a good career, satisfaction in our daily activities. And if you achieve these things, then, as the psalmist wrote, the lines have fallen for me in special places. Surely, I have a delightful inheritance. If you achieve these things, truly, you have won the jackpot of life. The best lives are the ones that unfold in their expected manner, steady and ordinary, without miracles. Isn't this a better religion? Aren't these better prayers than those uttered to the Lord of Powerball? In honor of David Bowie, who passed away this week, do you know his song, Word on a Wing? Let me end with his words. In this age of grand illusion, 
you walked into my life. Out of my dreams, sweet name, you're born once again for me. Lord, I kneel and offer you my word on a wing. And I'm trying hard to fit among your scheme of things. My prayer flies like a word on a wing. Does my prayer fit with your scheme of things? Amen. Thank you.